This is a Suno India production and you're listening to Beyond Charmana. everyone thank you for joining us for another episode of beyond charminar a lot of us talk about the nizam and hyderabad and how rich the state used to be and uh, you know if you just read a little bit about whatever is in the media about the nizam there's a lot of glorification in terms of the wealth they had especially the last nizam usman ali khan who was i think in 1936 or 37 who whose face was on the cover of time magazine for being the world's richest man and i think in terms of rich people in history he is supposed to be the world's sixth richest man so today what we are going to do is we are going to actually talk about one part of hyderabad's history that is not much known to most people you know that actually takes away a lot of the sheen from uh, hyderabad being a cotton coat a rich state and a very glorious state and things like that I have with me here Sirish Sirish Nanishetty who was my former boss and colleague from the Hindu who you also would have heard in a podcast a couple of episodes before this on his latest book that he wrote on Golconda's history so just to give you all a brief background of Hyderabad's history city was founded in 1591 by Muhammad Quli Qutub Shah the 5th Qutub Shah or Golconda king before that the golconda fort which was established as a kingdom in 1518 functioned as a separate walled city and then hyderabad was built in 1591 so the qutub shahis were persians fyi the dynasty ended in uh, 1687 when aurangzeb for practically the last sovereign emperor of the mughal dynasty he took over hyderabad or the golconda empire in 1687 which was the last deccan state to fall to him what happened afterwards is that there is a gap of from 1687 to 1724 when hyderabad had different mughal appointed governors in 1724 the first nizam mir kamruddin khan comes from delhi and takes over hyderabad essentially he realizes that there's not too much left for uh, him back up north because the mughal empire is crumbling and from there the second part of hyderabad history starts of which we will be talking today now uh, when kamruddin khan took over hyderabad it was not just hyderabad but the entire deccan area and at that point of time it was quite large when i say the deccan i am referring to telangana you know maybe i can include andhra also andhra northern karnataka you know gulbarga bidar raichur and parts of tamil nadu golconda actually had a large chunk of tamil nadu also with it towards the end and also uh, the marathwada areas in maharashtra up to aurangabad So this is quite a big large state uh, so when Mir Kamruddin Khan took over his capital was in Aurangabad Aurangabad is also where Aurangzeb had stationed himself for about nearly two decades from 1724 to 48 you had Mir Kamruddin Khan the first nizam ruling he died in 1748 lot of people also don't know that uh, between 1748 and 1762 there was actually a stop gap where two of his sons and one grandson fought for the throne but were never recognized by the Mughals the nizams though they were technically independent they were still in fact ruling under the aegis of the mughal empire to which they were still paying tributes so 1748 to 1762 if you look at history there's not too much of information in public domain what happens is eventually nizam ali khan the second nizam takes over between the second third fourth and fifth nizam is where we are going to be uh, you know mostly talking about nizam ali khan ke time pe kya hota he essentially is caught between wars Uh, between you know, with the marathas 
and uh, down south you have tipu sultan's father eventually hyder ali fighting with the british and later tipu sultan fighting with the british so there is that whole episode that is happening in 1798 under second nizam nizam ali khan something major happens which is the nizams and the british signing the treaty of subsidiary alliance essentially it was the nizams paying the british a certain amount of money for which the british were providing them a service by giving an army as simple as that so 1798 mein uh, the consequence of that is the nizams in 1799 helped the british kill tipu sultan in an alliance with the marathas as well and the uh, tipu sultan in fact had an alliance with the french so all this is happening in between 1803 nizam ali khan dies his son sikandar ja the third nizam takes over now sikandar ja ke time pe the first major thing that happens in 1806 1807 is that sikandarabad forms as a separate cantonment sikandarabad named after sikandar ja of course the third nizam is sikandar ja uske baad is nasiruddaula uske baad is afzaluddaula so between these three nizams in the first half of the 19th century there was a major major issue where the state went into debt the irony was that the nizams had to actually pay the british their uh, you know whatever maintenance money or as per the treaty was for the you know for the services of the british looking back in retrospect the nizams actually stopped fighting wars after signing the treaty which is very ironical so from here i'll hand it over to sirish and this entire thing also includes the bank which is the main focus of today's podcast uh, that would be palmer and go so what you're saying is true up to a point this is what the conventional history is all about but if you look at the nizam when the nizam side agrees to take the help of british he sidelines two major factions of his kingdom that is the pigas who were the armed soldiers who helped him come to power his parents and all that and who were the armed security guards for him and who provided the military muscle for the nizam to come and defeat mubarizdaula in 1724 this is one aspect the other aspect is the nizam also sidelined the french who helped him in the initial stages when he was fighting with the marathas okay so when he sidelined these two major parties he became beholden to the british and when he became beholden to the british it was not just for the military muscle also he came under complete control of the british the british used all tricks of the trade to gain control of nizam ali nizam ali khan second second right so the thing is they said we will supply you this army but you have to pay them a money for maintenance of the troops now this may sound fine but what actually it meant was the nizam who already had an army become redundant and he had to pay money the money was about 2.5 lakh uh, rupees at an interest of 24% this per month but earlier the british had a rule saying that the british citizens could not get into the business of lending and they should not lend at more than 12% these are the two major clauses william palmer comes into this picture around 1810 this is in during the sikandar jah's time so william palmer is actually not a britisher he is a eurasian he is uh, mother is a noble woman from out and the father was another person called major william palmer so this man came to power and he was part of the nizam's bodyguard there is a very old photograph in the british museum of a gentleman stretching his hand and surrounded by women and two small children Uh, William Palmer is the older child of that in that photograph 
So this child came to work as a soldier for the Nizam's bodyguard and he became the brigadier general. But around 1808 and 1810, he got in touch with a Gujarati businessman called Binkati Das. With the help of Benkati Das, he set up his establishment called William Palmer and Company and they started lending money to the Nizam. So yeah. the Nizam would get the money and he will pay the British. In the initial days, the office of this banking company was within the residency premises. The concept of residency was like an ambassador. So the resident was an ambassador of the British in the court of uh, Nizam. There were many residents, among them the most famous one is William Kirkpatrick, who had an affair with Karunisa Begum and William Dalrymple wrote a book about her called White Mughals. But after him was a resident called Russell. The trouble began when another resident called Charles Metcalf comes into the picture. He found that lending money to the Nizam to pay the British army was wrong. And he created a major ruckus in that and he took the matter right up to the British Board of Governors in Calcutta. The East India Company came down heavily on William Palmer and they actually cancelled his license around 1820. By this time, these people had lent a lot of money. Um, nearly a crore of rupees was owed to the William Palmer Banking Company. The Nizam had no way of paying this. So he ceded a portion which was pledged to the William Palmer Company, the province of Birar. Birar is where the present-day Vidarb Nagpur region is and uh, Amravati, Akola and all these places. So this was a rich cotton-growing region with black soil and land was converted from raising uh, rice and uh, sugarcane to a cash crop called cotton. Now, cotton was in great demand in the UK for the mills. This is around the time of American Civil War. Because of that reason, people who could grow cotton made a lot of money and this money could have transformed the region in a major way. But the Nizam had to cede the province to the British. So that is, uh, in fact, uh, the issue of Berar was something that ran with the between the British and the Nizams for a very long time to the extent where the Nizams kept on asking for the area to be given back, but uh, towards the end, it was not. Only it was given nominally to the Nizams. Is that correct, Harish? Yes. What actually happened is the rich province of Berar was ceded to the British. That's why it is, uh, if you see the old maps, you can see CP and Berar, Central Province and Berar. This thing happened under the reign of minister called Munirul Mulk, who is the ancestor of Salajan. And this taint of ceding a major land to the British state to the Salajang family. And Salajang's whole endeavor, despite him trying to change the economy of the state and all that, his goal was to regain the province of Berar to the Nizam Singh, and he could not succeed. That was one of the reasons why in 1857, when Salajang sided with the British and the Nizam sided with the British, the province was like a bargaining chip with the British and they could have taken more land if this province was not pledged with. So, just to give you a timeline as an example, see, uh, the third Nizam, Sikandarja, during whose time this entire banking episode takes place is from 1803 to 1827, I believe. And then his uh, next, the next Nizam, Nizam number four, Nasiruddaula, is 1827 to 1850, no, 1857, 1857, yes. 
So, I mean, just to put things in perspective, it is actually something like the economic uh, disruptions that we've seen in modern day history also where, you know, the banks. What the ch- what uh, we see is uh, China lending money to smaller countries and they are unable to pay the loan. So, they seed the airport, they seed the major highways, they seed the ports. Yeah, so why are we talking about this today is because before Usman Ali Khan, the last Nizam became very, very rich, the state actually was in huge debt. To the point where the British actually had to bail them out because of the whole William Palmer issue. I also wanted to specifically talk about this person, Maharaja Chandulal. Uh, actually, Maharaja Chandulal is a fall guy. He is a culprit, but he's also a fall guy. In the sense... Uh, during which Nizam's period was he the Prime Minister? He was during the during Sikandajas and uh, Nasiruddallah. It is said that he was the Prime Minister for about 30 years. in. He was 30 years. Okay. But before that also he was al- always called Diwan. When Munirul Mulk was there, he was the deputy. But the British treated him on par with the Prime Minister. Okay. And he was called Minister. And uh, just to give a perspective, even now today if you go to Old City, there are areas called Chandulal Ki Bela, Chandulal Ki Haveli, Chandulal Baradari. And this Chandulal used to have recently one of, I saw one of the photographs where he used to take out a chariot, like for a religious festival. There was a six-story wooden chariot. So this gentleman was very rich and he really entertained well. And he's also one of the persons who is uh, associated with Mahalaka Bhai Chanda, who is one of the most famous poets of Hyderabad. Uh, just to add to that, Mahalakabai Chanda, in fact, deserves a lot of praise and special mention in our history because, see, unlike Qutub Shah history where you have people like, women like Hayat Bakshi Begum and Kulsum Begum and other <coughs> women specific, you know, very prominently mentioned in Nizam history, except for the last Nizam's two Turkish daughter-in-laws, only Mahalakabai Chanda is able to command that much of respect in terms of accomplishments, I guess. Mahalakabai Chanda was essentially... A very highly trained uh, courtesan, dancer, singer, or you can say artist. Who she, she was also a poet. Definitely, sorry, my bad. She was a brilliant poet. The first woman to apparently have her entire work published in Urdu, if I'm not wrong. Yes. I think that Deccan or in India, was it? First woman to have her entire work published in India or in, in the Deccan? Okay, so she was born in 1768, uh, six years after the second Nizam took over. So this is a different uh, podcast altogether, one day hopefully. You but need to have a separate episode for yes. Malaka But she's very important. She grew up as a very highly trained uh, courtesan, performer, artist, writer, Urdu writer, singer, dancer. And she trained other women also. And she was basically sought after by every single powerful person there is, including the second Nizam. And you studied in a university which is built on the land which belonged to? Usmania University. Right. So coming back to the bank, uh, so why we're doing this episode specifically is also to make people understand what was happening in the state of Hyderabad and in Hyderabad city during the time of the 3rd, 4th and 5th Nizam, especially after this Palmer episode. Because apart from the 2.5 lakhs per month at 25% interest that was borrowed, 
I've also read that a separate amount of some was, was borrowed also for the Hyderabad contingent. It is said. This is this money was, entire thing was used to pay the Hyderabad contingent. Oh, okay. It was initially called Russell Brigade. It was in, right. uh, before that it was called something else. So the soldiers had to be paid from this money. So it is very strange, very simple to understand. Like the Nizam was paying the money for soldiers who were mostly British, and these soldiers were supposedly protecting the Nizam. But actually, they are fighting the war of the British. The British were fighting others, like Tipu Sultan or somewhere else. So, the Nizam was essentially financing the British to keep an ready army to fight for themselves. They are not even fighting for the Nizam. The Nizam already had his enough fights with the Marathas and the Hyder Ali and all those wars were already over. And he already had a legion of soldiers. But he still had to maintain this standing uh, Hyderabad contingent and pay money for that. And this continued even after the third Nizam. Yeah, it continued for a much longer period of time. Even for example, uh, in 1857, during the 1857 revolt. See, 1857 revolt was very important in Hyderabad because as uh, the Bombay presidency president was there, uh, Lord Elphinstone. The Elphinstone station in Bombay is named after him. So he said, if Hyderabad goes, everything goes. And that is a very big statement. It is a very big statement because if Hyderabad had fallen at that point of time, the whole of South India could have separated from the British Empire and could have become a separate entity and could have become a focus for a much larger rebellion. But by Salajang's decision of siding with the British and uh, there was a big revolt event near the residency building where a lot of soldiers were killed. They were tied to cannon, uh, cannons and blown away. British soldiers were tied to cannons? No, Indians. Indian soldiers. So, during the 1857 war, the Khan, who was the Salajang who was the Prime Minister, not only that, the people who actually attacked the British were Afghans, who were called Rohillas. A set of 500 of them attacked the residency. And uh, this is very important. You know, because to understand that it was not the local people, but actually the Afghans. No, not, uh, they were local people because the revolt actually began with the Makkah Masjid. After the Friday prayer, uh, the Friday Juma Namaz, these people started walking towards the residency. And Hyderabad had no arms act. The British area, the area under British control had an arms act. So in Hyderabad, people could carry weapons freely, easily and there was a range of weapons which people were carrying. And these people attacked the residency building. And they attacked it through the night. Only due to the involvement of the Madras sappers brought from Madras, who the British could salvage the situation and uh, save the residency building. And also one small trivia. So the two people who led the attack on the residency were Maulana Alauddin and Turrebas uh, 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 Khan. So the word Turum Khan in Hyderabad we use is actually attributed to Turrebas Khan who refused to give up and was eventually killed by the British. So Maulvi Alauddin died in uh, Andamans and, and he didn't write any apology letter. He did not write any mercy petition as against somebody else who we all know who it is. Coming back to uh, this whole issue of this bank also, this whole state going state is actually quite badly into debt because of William Palmer to the point where the Nizams actually had you to mortgage. You can blame the William Palmer. It no, no. is because uh-huh. of the financial arrangement. And William Palmer is just a pawn in the game. He is just a money lender. And he got blamed for multiple reasons. One of the reasons is Raja Chandulal. Uh-huh. Okay. Another reason is William Palmer's origin. 
he is a Eurasian. If you read the White Mughals, you see there is a change in attitudes of the British towards Eurasians and to themselves. So William Palmer and his company got the worst of it. And they were driven into penury and the company was literally destroyed. But it was one crore that they actually lent, right? To the lent. So, but in, 19, uh, in 1820, the license was cancelled. So how much did they actually get back? Uh, we don't know the figures. I, I, I haven't come across Because even figures. I have not been able to actually come out from I the I have not come across the figures. Uh, whereas the partner uh, in that company, Benkati Das, hmm. they, their company still survives. Really? Even yes. today? Yes. Wow. Okay. So their company survives and uh, according to the information I have, they are still in the <laughs> lending business. business. Not lending business, finance. So goals. not only that. So after the third, third and fourth Nizam, when Salar Jang won actually, so during the fourth Nizam's time, during Nasiruddin's time, is when Salar Jang won. Turab Ali Khan comes becomes the prime minister. It's a very, it's a different tale. Salar Jang won's time is a different uh, podcast altogether because it's a very interesting situation. You know his time as prime minister and stuff. But one thing is that in the books that are the books that have been written about Salar Jang one also talk about the bad law and order situation in the city at that point of time and yeah, that you know he apparently inherited a state which was not only in debt but a few things were not in uh, a good state yeah but Salah Jung prodded by the British and also aided by his sharp intelligence I came to know that Falaknuma Palace Library has a huge collection of books and the Salah Jung Museum also has a huge collection of books and these books have been read personally by Salah Jung and uh, all these books have markings of Mr. Salajan. So Salajan was a brilliant person and he managed to do a delicate maneuver where he let the British do what they're doing and he let the Nizam have his honor. Honor was very important for Salajan and Salajan was the key person who ensured that Persian survived in Hyderabad as a language of the rulers. Okay, only after the death of Salah Jang, the Persian was gave way to Urdu. But apart from that... And he, he also set up the administrative missionary of Nizam. And he set right the financial affairs. Financial affairs are related to William Palmer and the revenue collection. And uh, so the, you, Exactly. My, what I was going so to ask you was... He, he set that thing no, in order. What was happening before he... And the over. law and order thing, he improved. Because he was the one who separated the executive from the judiciary. And that was a major reform. And he appointed officers in all the districts. So what I was specifically wanted to ask you was, before he took over, what was the financial situation post the whole banking collapse or scenario post-1820 and before he took over in 1857? What was the financial situation? Because I, I was reading that Nizam number 4 had to sink so far as to where he had to open mortgage apparently some of the jewels to the British. See, the thing is, the financial situation is uh, very dicey because we are an eastern country. Our accounting system is much different from the British or any other modern uh, this thing. So we just calculated numbers in the head. Even when we are transacting, we bargain, we trade, and uh, we let go of some money, we lend money, and a lot of this is not even accounted. So the accounting system was very dubious at the best and it was uh, to the credit of Salah Jang he normalized all these things he put an order to that otherwise any lender could come and show a paper and say uh, your 
son-in-law borrowed so much money and the nizam to keep his honor would pay that money so he was the one who put it in an order where every penny was accounted for and we have a accounting system in place which could be verified cross checked and uh, if some money is owed to somebody and it would be paid so it was a very dramatic uh, move away from the accounting system which was prevalent earlier yeah also uh, one last thing so the uh, fourth nizam dies in 1857 after which the fifth nizam takes over and the fifth nizam abzuddaula dies in 1869 when the sixth nizam is just 3 years old and salar jang is still the prime minister so salar jang one actually he's gets he's a regent he gets a what nearly 15 years i think he dies in 1883 or hmm. i think yeah around or 1883 or around that period so until then he's actually he's a, he it's a regency and he's able to do whatever he wants which is one of the reasons why he's able to set right a lot of things in the state so thank you all for joining us for this episode and thank you sirish for joining us i hope thank you this, for having me here i hope this gives us some clarity as to uh, what the nizam, how the situation during the nizams the period of the second third fourth fifth and sixth nizam was uh, because you know it's something that most of us don't know and most of us are just told about the last nizams money but uh, this is i think equally important to be told especially to learn about uh how the british essentially you know screwed us over in a lot of ways thank you for tuning into this episode of suno india and you can hear this podcast on sunoindia.in and other platforms